0: Well, hey, what's going on, everybody? I want to start things off today by talking about like what is a what is a Christian exactly? Because it seems like there's a lot of people that wear that mantle of I'm a Christian, I, I'm a I'm a you know proponent of Christianity or wh- however you would say that. And it's like, yeah, but what does that mean? Because um, man, man it, uh, not having that clearly defined has led to some people. Um, claiming, honestly, if we're just being honest, claiming the mantle of Christianity, claiming to be a Christian and not actually living like that, which has given the church a really bad uh, reputation. Uh, So what exactly is a Christian? Does it mean that I just subscribe to some theological beliefs, like I believe a set of statements? Um, Is a Christian someone who in our context right now, as political as everything always is, it seems like a Christian's maybe someone who just always votes a certain way or supports certain political positions is a is a Christian someone who prayed a prayer wants to quote receive Jesus whatever that means um, and I did that once as a kid or as a teenager or as an adult and that was it and I'm in I'm in the club now are any of those things Christian? Not so much. Honestly, not so much. And in fact, what if I told you that the the, the word Christian was not the title that the earliest believers or the earliest Christians used for themselves? It's actually a title that that was given to them. It only shows up a handful of times in the New Testament. And they didn't come up with it for themselves. It was given to them. It says they were first called Christians at Antioch. And honestly, it was a bit of a derogatory term. It means like little Christ. And so it's kind of this like, Oh, look at you. You're just a bunch of little Christs. Um, For the, the person that they followed, this Jesus, who they said was the Christ. They said, so you're just like little Christ. You're trying to follow him. And eventually Christians grew to say like, you know what? That is who we are. That is what we are. We are like trying to be little Christ. We're trying to be like Jesus and imitate him and live like him. But that wasn't how they first talked about themselves. The first way that they talked about themselves, they referred to themselves as believers, or how the believers referred to themselves was as followers or disciples. That's how the New Testament talks about believers, how the New Testament talks about what we would call Christians. They're people who are followers, who are disciples. And that wasn't necessarily a a Christian idea. There were disciples and followers of many religious leaders. And and, and so a, a disciple or a follower was someone who, who followed in the footsteps of their rabbi. A rabbi was a, uh, a religious teacher. And so a disciple wanted to follow in their footsteps. They wanted to be like them. They wanted to imitate them. They wanted to um, follow their, their rabbi so closely that like literally and figuratively, I wanna, they want to be everywhere their rabbi went, everywhere their teacher went. Uh, but then also figuratively, I want to do life the same way. I want to see life the same way. I want to process things the same way. And so that this phrase and this idea emerged um, that the disciples, they followed their rabbi so closely that they were covered in the dust of their rabbi. You know, it's an area of the world, uh, you know, kind of the Middle East. It's hot, it's dry, it's dusty. And so as people walk, you know, you leave little dust clouds from your feet. uh, And a disciple, someone that is so close to their rabbi That they're covered in the dust of their rabbi. That's a disciple. That's a follower. And that is how the earliest believers or Christians saw themselves in relation to Jesus. He is our rabbi. We are his disciples. We want to be like him, not just believe things about him. And as we continue on in our series today in the Gospel of John, we're going to take a look at the first disciples to follow Jesus, And so the last couple times we were together, we've been talking about John the Baptist. He's been out preaching in the wilderness. Uh, He's like, hey, I'm just a messenger. I'm just pointing to someone else. That someone else is Jesus. Jesus shows up and he's like, look, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's where we left off last time together. If you haven't uh, caught those previous episodes, go back. Make sure you check that out. But we're going to continue on today. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35, we read this, that the next day... So if you're tracking along, that's like three days now with John the Baptist. On day one, it's, he's like, hey, I'm just a messenger. I'm just a voice in the wilderness. Uh, day two, he's out there. He's preaching again to this crowd, and Jesus shows up, and he's like, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now, the next day, so it's like day three, John is standing with two of his disciples. And so we just talked about how uh, teachers or rabbis, they have disciples. They have protégés. They have people who are learning from them. John has these disciples as well. He's got a crowd of people who's out there, but then he's also got a smaller group of people that see him as, uh, as their teacher, as their rabbi, and they're trying to be like him. They're trying to learn from him. Um, we're going to be looking at two of these disciples, and we're going to learn uh, that one of them, he's going to be named here in a little bit, is Andrew. And the other one is never actually named, but most scholars agree that this is John, the guy who's writing this gospel. There's a couple of clues for that. One, um, the fact that he never names this other disciple is a huge clue because that's a pattern that emerges in John's writing. He never talks about himself by name. He never names himself. So that's kind of like a, oh, hey, this is a clue. This is probably John. Um, also, there's just the clue of just the, the detail that he knows about this account, Um, implies that he was an eyewitness to it. And and then finally, uh, the other disciple is Andrew, and we're going to meet his brother Peter as well, so Andrew and Peter, and they are often associated with another group of brothers that were followers of Jesus, James and John. And so most likely this is John, so these two disciples of John the Baptist are John the Gospel writer and Andrew. Um, And so they're out there listening to John the Baptist, and he's preaching, he's like, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. Uh, And then when Jesus came the next day, Jesus is passing by, and John the Baptist, he says the same thing again. He says, look, the Lamb of God. And so, you know, he just said this the day before. Maybe nobody paid attention. I don't know. But he's like, hey, look, guys, pay attention. This is what I'm talking about. This is who we've been waiting for. There he is. Look, the Lamb of God uh, takes away the sin of the world. And so the, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So they they hear what John is saying and they decide to transfer their followership from being disciples of John to now going and following Jesus. And there's this beautiful picture of John the Baptist and just the humility that he has is that he understands his role is to not win people to himself, not to have the attention on himself. He's not going to get defensive or territorial and be like, no, these guys are my disciples. You can't have them, Jesus. No, he knows that his role is like, This is a win for him. He understands, like, this is actually what I was trying to do all along. I'm using my leadership and my influence and my teaching to actually point people to Jesus. And so these two disciples, they've been hearing John's message, and Jesus shows up, and they began to follow him. And when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? Now, this is so cool. Uh, these are actually the first recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And so uh, John, as he's writing this, has, has, has put the first time that Jesus speaks, the first words we hear of Jesus is this question, and it's brilliant because it is like the most important question. It is this piercing question of Jesus asking, what are you looking for? Or what are, what are you seeking? What are you after? What do you want what do you want? You know, there's that scene. I don't even know what movie it's from, but it's been turned into like a, like a, a meme. And he's like, uh, "What do you want? What do you want?" And it's like usually like when you're you're asking your girlfriend or wife what she wants to eat. it's like, "I don't know, I don't know." And so like that's the picture uh, that is in my head right now of of um, of Jesus saying, "Hey, what are you looking for? What do you want? What do you want right now?" Um, it's such a good question because he Jesus is. Is, is, is wanting to get at the motivation of people's hearts. You're following me, but why? What's your motivation? Why are you following me? And let me just say, let me push, hey, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, have you asked yourself that question? Have you evaluated that? I mean, maybe you did at one point, but man, that's something you should regularly be doing. Like, I'm following Jesus, why? Like, what am I after? What do I want? Why are we following him? And they answer him, and they say, Rabbi, which means teacher. Again, so we, we kind of talked about that. So now, like, they're viewing Jesus. He's our rabbi. He's a teacher. Um, so they say, Rabbi or teacher, where are you staying? Uh, the, the word for, for staying here, the root word is um, meno. Uh, it's the Greek word meno. And it's used, like, 40 times in the Gospel of John. It kind of emerges as a pretty significant pattern. And it means to stay or to remain or to abide so this, this theme develops in John of, of remaining in Jesus, of staying in Jesus, of living and abiding in Jesus. So later in John's gospel, you know, Jesus says things like, hey, you remain in me and I in you. And he says that I'm the vine and you're the branches. You need to be connected to me because apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you'll wither and die. And so there's this idea that begins to form of staying and remaining and being with Jesus. And so you know, we, we read this and it kind of seems like they're not answering the question. Jesus says, what do you want? And they're like, where are you staying? And we're like, what? You didn't answer the question. But I think they are answering the question. He's saying, what do you want? And they're like, well, where are you staying? Because here is what we want. We want to abide with you. We want to be with you. We want to stay with you. We want to go with you. Wherever you are, Jesus, that's where we want to be. We want to spend time with you. We don't want what you can do for us. We just want you. And so is that your motivation if you're a follower of Jesus? Is that your motivation for your faith, for your your Christian life, for you being a follower? Is your motivation, Jesus, I just want to be with you, come what may, after that? Or am I in this for what you can do for me? What do you want where you're staying? We want to be with you. We want to abide with you. We want to remain with you. And Jesus answers them, come, come. And you will see. And so they went, and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. And it was about four in the afternoon. I love, uh, man, Jesus, his response here. It's this, this is a pattern that emerges in the Gospels of Jesus' invitation to people is just come follow me, like come and you'll see. Come see for yourself. It's this gentle invitation of of Jesus where it's 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 weird because the invitation of Jesus. He isn't demanding, but it is demanding. <laughs> so if you, if you decide, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow Jesus and I'm gonna give my life to this, it is a demanding thing. Like, it costs us something, but Jesus isn't demanding in it, saying, You better follow me, man. Like, he's not, he's not dragging us, kicking and screaming. He's not forcing belief upon us. He says, Listen, come and see for yourself. Come follow me for a while. Come and find out. Come spend some time with me, and then you decide. What you want to do with me? Come and see. And they stay with him. And undoubtedly, they ask him questions. They try to figure out who this was because these are two disciples of John. They've been hearing John the Baptist talk this guy up, right, for a while. Like, hey, he's coming, he's coming. Look, the Lamb of God, behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. He baptized with the Holy Spirit. Like, he's like, they're like, dude, Jesus, we've been, like, John has been talking about you a lot, man. Like, do you know what he's saying about you? And so I'm sure they stay with him and and they're asking him questions and they're trying to get their minds around like, John says this is the one, like how how is this possible? Um, And apparently the time that they spend with Jesus makes quite an impact with them because you can see that play out in the rest of the interaction. That Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two, so he's one of the disciples, we talked about that, one of the two who heard John and followed him. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we found the Messiah, which when translated is the Christ, and he brought him, he brought Simon to Jesus. And so there's so many things that are just awesome going on in, the, in this, this little passage, passage. So, uh, Andrew, who's one of John's disciples, who's now following Jesus and spending some time with him, it says that he first, and that's gonna be important in a second, um, that the first thing that Andrew does is he goes and he finds his own brother, Simon, and he tells him, we found the Messiah Uh, The Messiah was the anointed one, was the promised one, was the coming king, the one who had set everything right, the one who had been predicted um, and and prophesied to the Jewish people. This Messiah was coming, uh, and that's translated into the Greek as Christ. So that's where we get like Jesus Christ. Christ isn't his last name. It's Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one. It's the the title that he bears. Um, And Andrew goes to his, his brother and says, listen, we've found him. Like We have found the one. This is the one that we've been waiting for. And there's just so much. What, what, what Andrew does, Andrew actually has a pattern of this in his life. Every time we see Andrew, he's bringing people to Jesus. He's bringing people to Jesus. He's bringing people to Jesus. Um, and there's just a humility that he has. Um, because Andrew undoubtedly would have known that to bring his brother into the fold would have meant that he wasn't as important. Um, because Peter is like the leader. Peter is the one that everybody knows about. Peter is, he's like, he, he is the natural born leader of the family. Everybody knows Peter, and Andrew will forever be Simon Peter's brother. right? Even here, he's introduced as Simon Peter's brother. But that doesn't stop Andrew. He's like, that doesn't matter. It's not about me. I want my brother to know that we found the Messiah. And this is something that, that Andrew, Andrew does, what he saw modeled to him by John the Baptist, because this is what John the Baptist does. He's like, listen, he's like, like he's, he's saying, prepare the way, prepare the way, prepare the way. And when Jesus shows up, John the Baptist is like, there he is, guys. Go follow him. Stop following me. Go follow him. And so Andrew, he, he takes what he saw modeled and says, okay, I found him. Now I'm going to go tell someone else. I'm going to go invite someone else. I'm going to go bring someone else. We found the Messiah. Look what he does. He, he finds him, he tells him, and he brings him. I'm going to go find someone. I'm going to go find my brother. I'm going to tell him, and I'm going to bring him. I'm going to bring him to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, when Jesus saw Simon or Simon Peter, he said, you are Simon, son of John and you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. He says, listen, you, you are Simon, but you will be Cephas or Peter. Um, Cephas, so like Jesus and the disciples would have spoken Aramaic, uh, but so that was like their common spoken language. Um, but another common language, the common written language, was Greek, which is the New Testament is written in. So Cephas is like the Aramaic. Uh, Peter comes from Petros, which is the Greek. And so he says, I'm Peter, like Simon, I'm changing your name. You're, you're Simon, but you will be Peter, which actually means rock. Peter, you're going to be, you will be rock. You'll be solid. You'll be firm. You'll be strong. You will be rock. But the thing is, is Peter isn't Peter is anything but. He's brash, he's hot headed, he's impulsive, he doesn't think before he speaks, he's just a common fisherman. He ends up denying Jesus three times. Like, he's like, uh, whenever Jesus is on trial, Peter is so scared by like a middle school girl. He's like, I don't know him, I've never met him, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, Peter is not a rock, but he will be. And Jesus calls out in Peter what he will be, he calls him to what he will be. He says, that, Peter, this is who you are right now, but let me tell you who you will be if you remain in me. And Peter ends up emerging, I mean, as like the key leader in the early days of the church. He preaches like the first gospel message where thousands of people come to faith. Peter ends up dying for his faith. Like he becomes a rock, but he becomes that rock through a transforming process of discipleship of being with Jesus and going through this refinement in this process. And so Jesus sees who he is, but he calls him to who he will be. Peter, you're going to be the rock. And so now we've got Andrew and John who've been pointed to, 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 to Jesus by John the Baptist. Now Andrew goes and finds his brother Simon uh, who becomes Peter, but we're, we're not even done yet, man. It just keeps going. It says, the next day, so another day has passed, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, There's that finding and telling again. Follow me. Kind of same invitation. Follow me. Come and see. Like, come check this out. Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. So, Jesus finds Philip and gives him the same invitation. And it seems like Andrew and Peter actually play um, a, a role here because John thinks it's important to give us this detail uh, that Andrew and Peter uh, and Philip were all from the same town, Beseda. It is a small, nowhere fishing town. It actually means house of fishing. So that's just a fun name. Where are you from? I'm from the house of fishing. Small town, fishing town. So this small town, three guys that would have known each other, three guys that were working in the same industry, and so there's this connection here where it's like, hey, they're part of this discipleship process. Uh, And in fact, like the way that the Greek words, verse 43, and and some scholars have pointed this out, it says the next day Jesus, um, like in the in the Greek, when we put this in our translations, but this Jesus right here is actually, uh, it's just he. It's just the next day he decided to leave for Galilee. And then Jesus found Philip and told him. And so uh, people have kind of raised the question of like, is the he that decided to leave for Galilee, is that Jesus or uh, is that Andrew? And it's like, well, we don't know. It kind of actually makes sense that it might be uh, Andrew because of the pattern that's emerging of uh, you become a disciple, you tell someone else, you bring someone else, you tell someone else, you bring someone else. And we just read that Andrew first found his brother Simon. And it's like, wait, why did John tell us he first found Simon? unless there was something else coming after. And so no matter how that plays out, what's evident here is like, there is something going on where it's like, I found Jesus, I gotta bring someone else on the journey, I gotta tell someone else. And so, you know, Andrew uh, and John, they go and find Simon and now they go and tell Philip and all these guys know each other and like, we found the one, we found the one, come and see, come and follow, come and check this out for yourselves. And it doesn't stop there, right? It just keeps on going, Philip, (laughs) Because now Philip's into the fold, Philip found Nathaniel and told him. Uh, Nathanael is also sometimes known as Bartholomew. So Philip found Nathaniel, and he told him, and here's what he told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and so did the prophets. And so Philip is telling Nathaniel the same thing that Andrew told his brother Simon. Um, Andrew says, hey, we found the, the Messiah. Philip says, we found the one written about Moses and the prophets, it's the same person. Um, so, so Philip is telling Nathaniel, you know, these are, these are Jewish guys. Hey, the, the one that our entire scripture, what we uh, would, as Christians would call the Old Testament, but for the Jewish people, our entire scripture has been pointing to this Messiah, to this one. And guess what? We have found him. So Philip found Nathanael and he told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and so did the prophets. And it's Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And so he's kind of telling, okay, because like, Jesus would have been a somewhat common name, right? Yeshua. And uh, he's like, well, it's this particular Jesus. He's from the, the family like line or the house of Joseph and he's from the town of Nazareth. We found him, the one that we're looking for. Uh, and then uh, Nathaniel's not exactly buying it. He says, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like you got to be kidding me, Nazareth? Um, because Nazareth is it's it's, it's a, just a podunk town in the middle of nowhere. It's nothing significant. It's nowhere important. It's like surely the Messiah is not going to come from Nazareth. And Nathaniel probably would have been familiar with some of the prophecies to know that the Messiah was supposed to come from Bethlehem, which." Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but at this point, Nathanael doesn't know that. He's not thinking of that. And he's like, what do you mean Nazareth? How can anything good come from Nazareth? And look at how Philip responds. He responds to this objection. He responds to this skepticism, not with a defense, not with an argument, not with a let me give you, you know, three bullet points and a reason why you should believe me. He simply says, come and see. That's a legitimate objection, Nathaniel. You know what? You're, you're right. Those are, those are important questions. We need to work through that. We need to process that. I, I don't have an answer for you there. I can't persuade you, but why don't you just come and see for yourself? Now, where, where do you think Philip gets that idea? Where does he get that posture? He gets it from Jesus himself. A Jesus' invitation, come and see, come and follow, come and find out. And so Philip's like, I'm just going to pass on to you what I received, this invitation to come and follow. Jesus then saw Nathaniel coming toward him, and he said about him, "Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit." Um, so he, he sees Nathaniel like, "Here's a guy. Here's a guy with no deceit, no fraud." Uh, there's no duplicity. He, here's just an honest guy, right? Like, he's, he's not going to believe without investigating for himself. Like, you see the skepticism in here. He's honestly looking for the Messiah. He's like, yeah, that'd be great if the Messiah was here, but, like, I'm not just going to buy that. Like, he has an authentic faith, an authentic hunger, an authentic desire. Um, but also, Jesus has a little play on words here. He's invoking an idea from the Old Testament when he says, here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So, uh, Jesus' Jewish audience, these guys who are Jewish, John's Jewish audience as he's writing this would have been picking up on this instantly. Um, he's going back to the, the patriarchs, the, the, um, the kind of the father figures of the nation of Israel, back to, to Abraham, a promise is made to him to bless him, to make him a great nation, to bless the world through him. And then that promise is passed on to his son Isaac, and that promise is passed on to his son Jacob. Jacob has his name changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel and the nation is bored. And so Jacob whose name is Israel all throughout his story if you go into Genesis and you read about Jacob he is known as a deceiver. <laughs> he 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 is a deceiver, he is a muni- a manipulator like he he's been Promise like that that God has given him this promise, but he doesn't trust the promise of God. He doesn't trust that he'll receive God's blessing for his life. So he ends up trying to get it like on his own. He ends up deceiving and hurting um, and tricking people, and it's just this kind of a beautiful story. That listen, like. God uses jacked up people to accomplish his purposes. So good news for you and me. Um, But like, okay, so Jacob, Israel is a deceiver. He is not honest. He is not true. And so there's this play on words with Jesus calling Nathanael an Israelite in whom there is no deceit because the patriarch, Jacob, Israel was full of deceit. And what, what John and what Jesus is doing in saying this as they're priming your, your, your thoughts, they're bringing Jacob, the patriarch, to the forefront for something he's gonna say next. Verse 48, Philip, or Nathaniel responds, how do you know me? Jesus is like, yeah, there's no deceit in you. And Nathaniel's like, you don't know me, bro. Like, back off, like, who, how do you know me, right? Um, and Jesus responds, before Philip called you, before Philip came to you and said, hey, listen, you know, we, we found the Messiah. Uh, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Yeah, you know, way back when, when you were under the fig tree, um, I, I, I saw you. We're not exactly what, sure what is meant by that little phrase or what Jesus is saying here, when I saw you under the fig tree. There's different theories on that. Um, but there's clearly like a picture of some sort of supernatural uh, um, uh, revelation. Like like Jesus knows something about Nathaniel. That he in Nathanael's mind is like, wait, no one should know that. You should know that. How do you know that about me? And uh, the, the fact that it's just kind of supernatural revelation um, it, 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 and that it hits home, we can see that it hits home and it, it makes an impact based on Nathanael's response. Because he responds, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You are the one we've been waiting for. You are the one that's been prophesied. You are the one that we've been looking forward to. And then Jesus responds by saying, You believe? Because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Oh my gosh, Nathaniel, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. Like, we we are just getting started. And then he said, and this is cool, this is where I was talking about, hey, he's getting us to think of the patriarch Jacob. He says, Truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So remember a second ago, he just primed us to be thinking about Jacob or Israel, the patriarch, Jacob's kind of story. And part of Jacob's story in Genesis 28, uh, he goes to sleep and he has this vision of a stairway from earth to heaven. Um, and, And there's angels ascending and descending on this stairway. It's this place where heaven and earth overlap. Uh, It's an entry from human space here on earth into God's space in the heavens. And so Jacob wakes up, he renames the place Bethel, which means house of God. And so like Jesus has said this to bring this to our minds. John has recorded this to bring this to our minds that, that like, oh wait, Jacob in this story of, of God space, human space overlapping, this stairway, this gateway between God and people and Jesus has now said this but now instead of it being um, a stairway, he says, you'll see the angels of God not ascending and descending on a stairway but ascending and descending on the son of man which is one of the titles that Jesus would often use for himself. And so he's saying, listen, you know that story from our past, that story from the patriarchs? Well, now you're going to see that happening in me. Like, I'm now the stairway. I'm the gateway. I, I, I am the, the path to heaven, to God's space, to dwelling with Him, that, that heaven and earth are now colliding in me. And you're about to see it, Nathaniel. you ain't seen nothing yet. Come, follow me. It's like, dude. Like, this is an incredible thing that Jesus is saying. I am the space where heaven and earth overlap. I am the, the gate. He actually says this later in John's gospel. I am the gate. I am the way. I am the path. Nathaniel, you are about to see things that you can't even begin to imagine. Mind blown. Boom. And we have the first followers of Jesus who are called. The first disciples here. Five of them. Andrew. Presumably John, the gospel writer, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel, the first five disciples. And there's something about the nature um, of discipleship that we learn from these guys. Something about the nature of discipleship. It's, there's this kind of this two-part uh, uh, factor of it. That, that on one hand, um, it's, it's all about Jesus, but on the other hand, it's also about others. Like, there's a part of discipleship that's all about Jesus. It's about knowing him, right? Like, where are you? Hey, where are you staying? We want to be with you. We want to remain with you. We want to abide with you. We want to be where you are. There's a part of discipleship that's about, it's about knowing him and being with him. And, and even throughout that kind of dialogue, there's, there's different ways, it seems, of, of knowing him. Like, there's the first part of knowing is, like, knowing Jesus as Savior, Right, the message that John proclaimed: "Behold, it's the Lamb of God! It's the Lamb of God! It's the Lamb of God!" So that that's kind of that often that's like the first thing. So often it's like, "Oh my gosh! Like, I know Him as 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 Savior. I, I need His mercy. I need His grace. I need His forgiveness. I've got a sin problem. I'm jacked up. I destroy myself. I destroy others. And like, there's a weight of that. There's a like, I'm guilty of that. I owe something." Um, for that but i don't have to pay it because the lamb of god he takes away my sin he forgives me and so it's like yeah you know, there's knowing jesus in that way he's the savior but if, so often that's so where so many of us stop there, there, there's more than just that we see that it's knowing him as savior but then it's also it's knowing him as my teacher he's my rabbi like, he, he's, he's like, I, I, I want to follow in his footsteps. I want to be close to him. I want to, I like, emulate and imitate his life and his way. I want to uh, imitate his teachings. You know, I said at the beginning, like, he's asking, why are you following me? What do you want? And I said, we don't follow him because of what he can do for us. We follow him because of who he is. But also in following him, there is an overflow from that. They're like, there, there's something about Jesus, when we follow his way, when we follow his teaching... It will make you better at life. And it will make your life better. Like whenever you you're following in the footsteps of Jesus, your rabbi, your teacher, when you're when you're following his in his way about relationships and money and, and career and purpose and sex and kids and like all of these things. It's like when I follow in the path of Jesus, it actually leads to human flourishing. My life is better. Not always easier, but it's better. And so do you know Jesus as like a teacher? Uh, you know, there's this beautiful thing he says in Matthew's gospel. He says, take my yoke upon you. And he says, learn from me. Learn from me. Why? Because, because I'm gentle and I'm, I'm humble. And in learning from me, in learning my way, you will find rest for your soul. You, you will find just this deep. Like the satisfying kind of life in rest in the way of Jesus. Something that is so needed by it seems everyone right now because learning the way of the world and how, other, how we're supposed to do things and the pace uh, and the demands. Like there is, and it seems like there is anything but rest for us. But Jesus comes along and says, like, make me your teacher. Follow in my footsteps. Follow my way for your life, and you will find something that gives rest and peace and satisfaction to the deepest parts of who you are. You know him as Savior. You also know him as your teacher. And then finally, you know him as your Lord. The message that they were, were telling one another to the disciples is, we found the Messiah. We found the one promise. We found the King of Israel, that, that idea of, of Lord, of Messiah, it means Lord, it means King, it means you are in charge. Like, I, I need to know Jesus as my Lord, as the one who has authority over my life, to say, okay, I'm not the final authority over my life. Like, I submit, I yield myself to my King. And, and that, that can seem scary, but man, remember the person and the character of Jesus. He's not just any king. He is a good king, a loving king, a just king, a kind king. He is the king who, rather than demanding his subjects lay down their lives for him, he lays down his life for his subject. And so I yield to him. And here's why that's incredible news, is as much as we want to kind of fool ourselves into thinking that we have control over things, I ultimately don't have control anyway. Like, I don't have control over what happens. So why not yield to the one who does have control? control and the one who I can trust. And so it's no like been part of discipleship, it's knowing Jesus, it's knowing him as savior, it's knowing him as teacher, it's knowing him as lord and saying like, I want to know you in these ways. I want to stay with you. I want to be with you. I want to follow you. And so that's that's the first part. It's about knowing Jesus. But there's an others focused part of discipleship as well. The pattern that emerges, right, among those disciples is they find, they find others, they tell others, they bring others find them, tell them, bring them. So the first thing is they find them, right? So part of of being a disciple is finding people who don't know Jesus, seeking out your friends, right? And so for some of you, that's just hard because Maybe you don't have any friends, any relationships with people who are outside of the faith. That's a problem. Get some. There are people around you all the time who don't know Jesus. Get to know their stories. Get to know where they're from. Don't treat them as a project, but just love them as people because they're people who God loves and who he died for. So go find people. Go get to know people. Go love on people who are different than you. You find them, and then you find a way in the course of building that relationship to tell them. Tell them the good news about Jesus. And you do it from a way of personal experience. What was the message that we, uh, of like Andrew to his brother and, and Philip to Nathaniel? We found him. We found him. This is the one that we have been looking for. There's something implicit in that of like, "I have found something for my life. Let me tell you. What Jesus has done for me. Let me tell you about the hope and about the freedom that I've experienced, about the forgiveness that I've experienced. Let me tell you about the purpose that I have in my life now. Let me tell you about the the peace that I've experienced and the joy that I've experienced and what I've found in Jesus. Let me tell you that all of this is available to you as well. So we find them, we tell them, and then finally we bring them. This is the part that I get the most excited about because it takes the pressure off. What's the invitation? Hey, come see. Come and see. Come and see your job. As you, as you bring others to Jesus, you tell others about Jesus, your job is to not have answers to all of their questions. Your job is to invite people on the same journey that you're on. Your job is to say, you know what, I'm on this journey too, and I, I don't have an answer for you, but just, just come and see. I don't have all the answers, but let me bring you to the one who does. As so we find them, we tell them, we bring them. Why? Why? Well, so they can experience Jesus as their savior, as their teacher, as their Lord, so that they can have hope and they can have freedom and peace and all those things, so that they can then tell others, so that the cycle continues and we see people set free in the name of Jesus. Discipleship. It's not about being a Christian, quote, whatever that means. It's not about being a Christian. It's about following Jesus. And that means knowing him and proclaiming him and that process of knowing him and proclaiming him transforms us.